Welcome to That Tree Lady Podcast. Your tree type and freedom. Let's talk about rules, rulers, and rebels. Today is the 4th of July, and judged by the kind of celebrations and the the amount of fireworks dumped into the night sky last night, <laughs> yes. I would say Americans love freedom. I would say that that's an understatement. Mm. Yeah. Fiercely defend freedom. How about that? I think that that's accurate. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think the what we've seen in politics in the last year or two has really been a clash of perceptions about what constitutes freedom and rights and reasonable rules and safekeeping of ourselves and others. And now Roe vs. Wade has injected a whole additional spurt of energy into this whole idea of what does freedom mean and how far does my freedom go and does it ever infringe on someone else. So without actually saying anything else politically, but setting it up from (laughs) from a political You're right. It would be wrong not to mention Roe v. Wade because it is about freedom and it is about rules and it is about which rules are good for people. And um, of course, the Roe v. Wade debate, it's not really about about freedom at the bottom of it, but actually what is considered a person. And so it's not entirely applicable, but um, it certainly adds a new layer to the freedom discussion. Mm-hmm. And if we think about the subtitle of this episode, rules, rulers, and rebels, then we definitely see that there is a mindset with some people that it is okay to make rules for other people. And there is a mindset that says it's absolutely not okay yes. to make rules for other people. And rules should only be applied to ourselves. Um, but when I, when I think about temperament, I think there are people who predictably will want to make rules. So I think there are like four categories of people when it comes to rules and freedom. We have those who are rule makers, very comfortable setting up rules, lawmakers, rule makers. Then you have rule keepers who will defend those rules and who will want to make people keep to them. Yes, they enforce the rules. Yes. Okay, let's call them rule but rule enforcers. So we have rule makers, rule enforcers, and then we have rule keepers who just quietly will obey, but they don't have any agenda to control anybody else necessarily. They, they're just comfortable having rules and knowing what's right or wrong. And then we have the people who are rule challengers or rule breakers. Right. So you are a box spine. Yes. Where do you see yourself in these four categories? From a temperament, let's forget your philosophy for now right, okay. and your values and your beliefs. But what does your temperament predispose you to in terms of a proclivity towards making, breaking, keeping, defending rules? Where do you think you are? I don't break rules for no reason. I follow rules when they're there, unless there is a very good reason to break them, temperamentally speaking. Hmm. I like order. I like rules. I like knowing the rules of the game so that I can play it well. And I think that temperamentally, I'm best regulated when I'm in a situation where there are clear expectations. I often find that I break rules when they are badly defined. Ah, that makes sense. So it's not rule breaking for the sake of trying to dispense with all rules. You are just trying to get the good rules to step forward (laughs) and the others to step back. Yes, exactly. I prioritize my rules and I will break uh, the rules that fail to be pragmatic. Mm -hmm. I think pragmatic is a fantastic word to summarize box spine in practice. Box spines are extremely pragmatic. And you have this big picture gift that comes with your detailed abilities. You can combine those two. And when the detailed rules no longer work, you will go into this big picture mode and you will just We'll get rid of it. I certainly do. I hate it when there are too many rules mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. especially when there are rules that just enforce things that are already established by a different rule. So if there are, don't take food that's not yours and don't take my sandwich out of the fridge, to me, those are the same rule at two different levels. And so it's not that I'll break either of them. 
I just don't appreciate the fact that there are two rules that, which say the same thing. Uh, and I'll probably lose respect for both rules. Do you think overall the responses we've seen in the past few years to mandates and things like that, do you think some of it comes from this resistance to redundancy? And I think maybe, but there's a lot of redundancy in law because it's not one person making the rules. So they can't be completely consistent and completely overarching in the way that there are no rules which state things that haven't been stated before. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's possible when you have m multiple people making rules. So you have two extremes here. You have when one person is responsible for rules, in which case I would want them to be unique, uh, functional, and pragmatic, and logically consistent with each other, because I think that if one person does their due diligence, that's what will occur. But when you have many, many people making rules, there will be redundancy, there will be re repetition and miscommunication between the rules themselves. Mm. I think we saw a lot of that, and rules being rescinded and then reinstated and things going back and forth, and people, that really triggered a whole lot of people. I think that triggers all four personalities. Because if I am a box with and I like to know what's happening, that inconsistency makes me insecure, and I would react from a place of being uncertain how to act, because I want to keep to the rules, because I think typically boxwoods would be rule followers. I think you're right. And then if I were a pine it would be somewhat the same thing, needing the predictability and the reassurance that, that I know what is expected so that there are no surprises down the line, which pine trees typically don't appreciate very much. But then the palm tree would just go, oh, these people don't know what they're doing. So, I mean, we have two opinions here. I might as well add a third one. This is ridiculous. I'll do my own thing. I think it will be almost an invitation to the palm trees to completely disregard everything and moving to the space in which they want to be. I think they are the rule breakers, but not for the sake of rebellion. I wouldn't call them rebels, but I would call them challengers. And they usually, I think, break rules when they feel people's freedom is being curtailed unnecessarily. They don't like the box because they believe in creativity, originality, individuality, and that's what they typically want to defend. I think they were the ones who, when, when it was an absolute firm mandate, came up with funny masks and, <laughs> and memes and helped us laugh about it. So they will mock the rules even if they're not in a position to break them. Right. I, I, for instance, I once saw a mask that said, this mask doesn't work. And the person <laughs> was wearing it over their face. And I thought that that was hilarious. Yeah, that's a little bit of palm tree commentary. That's, that's some palm tree commentary. <laughs> I certainly felt so because... What that person was saying was, these are stupid rules. Yeah. That's what the person was saying is, these are stupid rules. And so maybe that was a pine tree who didn't have the palm tree gusto to go ahead and simply break the rule and not wear a mask at all. But what about the rose? I think rose bushes love the rules they make and they hate the rules other people make. That's a very good summary, <laughs> Because I think. If, you, if you've ever raised a rose bush, then you know. They just have to push against it if it's not their idea. Yes, I think the best way to get a rose bush to follow rules is to have them make their own and encourage them to do so. Like sitting a rose bush child down, for example, and saying, okay, we need a rule around screen time, mm -hmm. but I want you to make that rule. So let's talk, how much screen time do you want in your life? How much do you think is too much? How much do you think is too little? What can it interfere with? Um, and as long as they're in a reasonable mood, I think that they would come up with a rule that you can agree with them about. I saw that when I worked at that community center in Proclamation Hill, that if you get kids buy-in on camp rules, they're a lot stricter than you would ever be as an adult. Hmm. You give them the authority and they suddenly have this wisdom and they will say, well, all kids need to be in the rooms by 9.30. And I was thinking 10.30. And they would say 9.30. And then I would say, what, what's the sanction for the kids not in the rooms? Well, they don't get any, any participation in the, 
in the bonfire and the s'mores the next evening. So they'll take away the thing everybody looks forward to the most, which I would think would be cruel. Right. So they, and, and those would be the rose bushes who are finally given some power. But that makes so much sense because what you do take away when someone breaks rules is the freedom that, that ru- those rules create for them. The bonfire would be the freedom that the curfew rule creates because if you go to sleep at midnight at the camp at the camp and then the next day you're grouchy at the bonfire and you make it miserable for everyone else it's because you broke the rule Mm -hmm. and so you're right that is a form of wisdom a deep form of wisdom and these were kids i think we don't give children enough credit for the wisdom they can have around rules and complicated systems with consequences and trying to navigate them. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about the rules we make for ourselves for life. Hmm. Like if I say, well, my rules are I don't eat sugar and flour anymore. And my rules are I spend some time reflecting or meditating in the morning or I don't binge watch movies till one in the morning. So those are rules that we make. Why do you think we do that? Why do we make rules for ourselves? I think it is to reduce the amount of decisions we have to make. Hmm. Because if you have a rule, it makes decisions for you. And if you realize that a certain situation demands you to make the same decision over and over and over again in the same direction, a rule will suit you much better than trying to improvise in that situation and make the right choice every time. So a famous example is we always tell kids, very good rule, don't do drugs. If you actually believe in that rule, you will have a very easy time saying no. That's the theory, (laughs) but it doesn't always work out in practice. There are situations where the circumstances make the decision new for you. Mm -hmm. because there are things in your situation that you weren't prepared to take into account. Because most kids, I think, when you tell them don't do drugs, they think, oh, when I'm offered drugs one day, if it even ever happens, which it will (laughs) um, in most cases, it'll be in a shady alleyway and I will have gone through many bad circumstances in order to get to this place. And then it'll be easy to say no because it's dark and it's scary and it's bad and it has this air of evil around it. No, it's when you're playing video games in your friend's dorm room at college and they pull out a bong. That's, that's how it happens. And I think the atmosphere is completely different from the atmosphere you expect when you make the rule. Yeah. And that can radically reduce a rule's power. Yeah. So if you've been in a situation many times where you've binge watched a movie till 1am, you know what that situation is like. You're tired, you've had a long day, you want some entertainment, you put on a movie, next thing you know it's 1am, and then you're miserable the next morning because you have to wake up at 5 or 6. Do you think that is because we, we make rules without clearly defining the why for the rule? Because if I say I'm not going to do drugs because it's bad for me, but I haven't really thought about (laughs) what do you mean it's bad for you? Like, what do you imagine this doing to you? And thinking it all the way through to why not? I remember, and I may have actually mentioned this before, but this friend of ours whose son said the reason he's not going to watch pornography is because he knows one day when he meets his future wife, she's going to ask him, did he watch porn as a teen? And then he would want to be able to say no truthfully yes, because he would be tempted to lie to his future wife and he doesn't want to build a relationship on a lie and he wouldn't want to have to say yes and potentially lose her respect. So that was an incredibly powerful why right. that he had thought through very carefully. So, for example, I broke my own rules last night and ate sugar and flour. 
and I feel miserable today. We don't always go to our prefrontal cortex. We don't pull out <laughs> our little notebook that says, why did I make this rule again? Because we are under stress sometimes, and as you said, under, under novelty. So what can we do to bolster our rule keeping of the rules that are worth it? The rules like, I don't cheat on my spouse. The rules like, right. I don't abuse my children. <laughs> I heard one story. He was a comedian. I can't remember his name. And he was at a bar once, and there was a woman trying to hit on him. Maybe. He, he said she came up to him just making friendly conversation. But he had made a rule. He's a married guy. He had made a rule for himself. I don't cheat on my wife. This guy's a palm tree. Off the, off the charts. Okay. That works well for comedians. Yes. It not, that it, not that they're always palm. No, no. A lot of them are boxwoods as well. And pines who are so observant of people. They're so pines are the best with impressions. The mellow comedians. Because they're so that are observant. So deadly funny yeah. because they say these things that nobody else is willing to yeah, say. Yeah, so dry. So quietly, <laughs> and it's it's hilarious. But he um, he shouted at this woman in the bar. He he said, "I don't cheat on my wife." And then he left the bar. <laughs> Because he said he would do that whenever he thought a woman was flirting with him, even maybe. Wow. And I thought that that was a very powerful example of someone who's so motivated to follow a specific rule. And you're right. It's because of the why. Yeah. And so you so said, it's a mantra. It's a mantra. Because I, I, I have a mantra for food. Typically, when I see something that has sugar flour, I say to myself, that's not my food. Right. Okay. So you're categorizing it in a specific. Yeah. Not my food. And then Wait. I go look for the veggies or the protein that I do eat. But I did not evoke my mantra. So he has put his his rule into a mantra and he did not just say it silently to himself. He yelled it. Yes. And that was probably to discourage any other candidates who may uh, approach him. Or, exactly. And, and to, to make himself accountable to people around him. So maybe accountability is the secret ingredients, uh, ingredient there. To announce your rules to others. Who can help you be accountable? Because imagine you sitting in the dorm room with a friend for the first time playing games and say, just so you know, don't ever offer me drugs because I don't do drugs. That could have protected right. you from that situation had you announced your rules up front. And college kids often talk about drugs. And so whenever that comes up in a conversation, it would help you if you mention that you don't ever want to try them. I know, for instance, I would um, be speaking to my friends and I would not cuss. Because I don't cuss. And after a while, they pick it up even when I don't say it. Mm -hmm. They say, I know, I know you don't cuss, so I'm sorry, <laughs> you know, because I do. And, and then I tell them, it's completely fine if you do. It doesn't affect me. You can say whatever you want. I'm just not going to. But you asked a very important question, and I don't want to get too far into the conversation without addressing it. You asked... How can we make the why more powerful? Mm -hmm. Because I think you hit the nail on the head. We follow rules because we believe in the purpose of the rule. Yeah. We believe in what the Greeks called the telos of the rule, the final purpose of the rule. The rule taken as, as a whole, what effect would the rule have on your life if you followed it? No matter what. You can think that through. It's like a first principles thing. I think the way you make that why stronger is not just by thinking through that rule, but by also thinking through the effect of that rule on multiple different levels. So let's take the comedian who will never cheat on his wife. Yeah. Because I think that if he's willing to shout that in a bar, he's not going to do it. Yeah. I think that the reason he was able to do that was because he really thought through what cheating on his wife would do to him. At multiple different levels. Yeah. Not also just children, probably next generation and the generation after that. Exactly. That's a very good way of layering those whys, right? Mm -hmm. Because you might say, well, I'm not going to cheat on my, my wife because, or my spouse because then our relationship will be over. Okay, there's one why. And maybe you really care about the relationship, but maybe you don't. Right? Maybe you maybe you're not so fond of your partner anymore. Maybe it's been thirty years and you're getting a little hey, bit tired. Hey, well, hey. it's exactly thirty years. I, I I did not do that on purpose. Um, 
uh, funder than ever. In case you're wondering, funder than ever. I know, I know. I wasn't talking about you and Dad, but but I'm saying that people do end up in that situation、yes. where they have a dry spell,、mm-hmm. and then that why is not going to work anymore. True. Right. So you need another one. So maybe you say, okay, well then our children will be have split up parents, and that's not good for them. Okay, so now you don't just have a why where you care about your spouse and your relationship with them. You have a why where you also care about your children. Yeah. And then you think about how it will affect your friends and all the friends you mutually have with your spouse, which is going to be most of them if you've lived with them for thirty years.、Yeah. All your friends are going to be their friends too, more or less. So let's add another layer to that and say, since our theme is your tree type and freedom. How powerful does a rule become when I believe that this rule is actually not restricting my life, but actually bringing freedom to it? So, what if my why contains a statement of freedom? For example, this morning、mm-hmm. I wasn't free to go for an early morning walk if I wanted to see the sunrise because of Be- the sugar and flour you ate. The night before, yeah. So I had a not my food hangover this morning, right? <laughs> And I didn't feel well, so the freedom to go out for an early morning walk was not there. I lost choices, I lost options because I broke my own rules. I was in a the first class I took in college. It was a first year seminar class. It was with a philosophy teacher,、mm-hmm. and the class's title was "What Is Freedom?" Ah.、Huh. And we read George Orwell and Sinclair Lewis,、um, two very great authors. They wrote about freedom in the political sphere, but they taught me something about freedom in the personal sphere. And the professor, Dr. Bill Meyer, he's an incredible professor at Maryville College. He taught me a lot about rules and how they can create freedom instead of taking freedom away. Exactly what you're talking about here. And he started the class by asking everyone to define freedom. What is freedom to you? And about ninety percent of the room had this definition: freedom is I can do whatever I want.、Hmm. And he brought up a very similar example to yours, which is okay. If you can do whatever you want, then you can drink as much as you want, right? And everyone said yes, of course. And he said, "Okay, well, if you drink a lot, is that going to limit what you can do?" And everyone said, "Yes, of course." And so he said, "Okay, so is that freedom or enslavement?"、Mm. And a light bulb went off in the room because everyone immediately realized that rules are there to ensure freedoms, not to limit them, in the proper scenario. And when you have a rule, it's either there to create a freedom for you that you would not otherwise have without it, or to ensure someone else's freedom that they wouldn't otherwise have without your rule. Now, sometimes rules do limit freedom, but they often do so in a way that allows other freedoms to exist. Yeah. So let's think about something like. The unpopular rules governments lay on their people. Rules such as, I mean, I'm considering becoming a licensed therapist, but some of the very restricting rules are that I can only practice within my state, which means people living five minutes from here in Virginia, just across my border, would not be served by me. Then I would have to, additional registrations, more rules, more, you know, continued education. Requirements, etc. So then I look at those rules, and they're just overwhelming, and I go, "Never mind." Right, because there are statutes and statutes and statutes of rules, and that rule to me doesn't have a clear telos. Because what makes a therapy client different, or the therapy that you would offer them? To me, <clears throat> that is a rule without a telos. It is a rule for the sake of a rule, but it's also. Sometimes the case that just because we can't see the reason for a rule doesn't mean it doesn't exist. There's this famous example, Chesterton's fence. 
Imagine there are two intellectuals driving down the road. And it's a highway, a one-lane highway in the countryside. And there's a fence in the middle of the road, <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. The one intellectual says, okay, hold on, stop the car. I'm going to take this fence out of the road. It has no reason to be here. And then the other intellectual looks at him and says, I am not going to let you take that fence out of the road. You go away and think for a minute about all the reasons why this fence might be in this road. And if you can give me a few good reasons why, maybe I will let you take the fence out of the road. Because I see a rule keeper in it. Rule break. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and okay. and this is this is the fundamental conflict I think when it comes to rules like that, where you cannot see the purpose of the rule, exactly. you might be tempted to just break it. I thought about it, and I realized they want to know which court is going to sue you <laughs> if you do something that harms a client. Right, and, and maybe different states have different laws for how they expect their clients to be treated in a therapy session. And so if we Chesterton fence this example yes. quickly, we can come up with a few fairly good reasons mm -hmm. why that rule might exist. And probably one of those reasons is why the rule exists. Yes. And then maybe we have respect for the rule. But if we don't give the rule a benef the benefit of the doubt, we run a high risk of getting rid of something that is actually there for a reason. Yeah. So maybe it's my obligation whenever I encounter a fence in the middle of the road, figuratively speaking, To, to do what Chesterton advised his friend to do and to say, there may be a very good reason here. Let me look for the freedom it could give me. Maybe that fence in the middle of the road gives me the freedom not to fall into a massive, you know, sinkhole. Or maybe the land at, at the other side of the fence is irradiated because of an atomic bomb test or, or perhaps... There are dangerous animals on that side of the fence yeah, or and not the other a, side of the a fence. a lot of freedom when it comes to gun laws on the other side <laughs> of the fence. And, and have the freedom to defend their property at all costs. Right, and, maybe it's someone's property, exactly. Yeah, so so if I, if I can look at rules and trust that there may be good reason for it and that sticking within those rules can protect some of my freedoms, such as continuing to practice my occupation, then maybe I'll have a different view of it. But for me, it's hard because I have a rosebush part that doesn't like limitations like that. Right. I want to go big or go home, and that seems like going really small. Like you mentioned, a rosebush wants to follow their own rules and break everyone else's if they don't match the reasons behind their own rules. You're going to sacrifice those rules to yours because yours are better for what you want to do. And that may be true, but you have to think about what you're doing to other people's freedom. I like to imagine if you realize that everyone breaking the rule you're breaking now would get in your way, then you're very unlikely to break that rule. And if you can't figure out why the rule is there, You do not have a license to break it until you figure out why the rule is there. Mm -hmm. And then maybe you have a license to break it. Maybe you do. Because I'd like to talk about the utility of rule breaking for a minute. Okay. What are some good reasons to break rules? When they're outdated. Like, for example, I know that, that there was a, there's a state in the U.S., I, I forget which one, where it was illegal to put a tub in your house. <laughs> And the reason it was illegal to put a bathtub in your house is the building code was such that a heavy enamel bathtub on the second story would be a really high risk of falling through, of the, falling through the ceiling <laughs> yeah, into your into your lower um, story or even through that floor into your basement which would be fatal so they just solved this problem of the building code by saying no bathtubs on the top floor showers only people showers <laughs> yes. only and and mm -hmm. so if somebody understood that that was actually the reason, then you could say, well, how about we just up the building code for what separates floors in a multi-story building? Oh, so when there's a better rule. When there's a better rule, because the better rule would be new building code. Yes, because that doesn't just solve the bathtub falling exactly. through the ceiling problem. That solves all sorts of things you might want to put in your house problem, as well as many Including more. Including your own, your own obese body, potentially. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
Like, um, we need to think about the future of America, you know, we need to make provision for all shapes and sizes here. a bit here. mean, but, but no, it's very no, true, but at, I think. at that time, the heaviest thing you would have on your top floor would have been a bathtub. That's no longer true. We have all sorts of appliances and all sorts of installations, like granite, um, that did not make their way into homes in the 1920s. Right. And so if you change the context in which rules apply, then those rules need to be reevaluated, And if they haven't been reevaluated yet, it might be a good idea to break them. Yeah. Because... Uh, wh- which temperament would enjoy that process? Me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Box pines, I yes. think. Because your boxwood understands the, the necessary nature of rules in order to keep order and to reduce stress and to reduce chaos. Your pine tree also appreciates that fact. But... Your pine tree is not so nervous about keeping the rules as your boxwood is. Your pine tree is more concerned with the purpose of the rules, the why. Does it work for people? Yes. Does it work? Does it make my life better? Does it make other people's lives better? Yeah. We are less likely to throw the baby out with the bathwater, to use another (laughs) bathtub term um, here, because when you want to update a rule, maybe... You don't want to take the fence out of the road. You want to make a better fence. Now, it's an analogy for an outdated law or an outdated rule in the household. Because often rules in the household get outdated. Let's say you make a rule for your six-year-old that 8 p.m. is bedtime. Your 14-year-old who's who's had that rule forever is probably going to start rebelling against it. Because they no longer have to get to bed at 8 p.m. in order to be a functional human being. Mm, so a better rule is we get enough sleep. Right. And that enough, it's not going to be It's variable. Fixed. So variable rules, they're dangerous because a variable rule is a badly defined rule by definition. But aren't they the best kind? Aren't they the most likely to protect people's freedom? It depends on who's making the judgment that that rule leaves open. Mm. So the bedtime example, who's making the judgment there? Yeah, so there, there has to be an outcome which says it's enough if you can get up in time to get yourself out of bed, get ready for school on time consistently. And so now it's a well-defined rule, but it's still a dynamic rule. Yeah. And so I like that so a lot. What do you think would have happened if we could have had COVID laws that said if we go over a particular level... We're instituting masks here and under these circumstances and and limits on numbers of people getting together at that level. I wonder if that would have changed people's attitude because that would have put some of the power in their hands. What if they say, if your county's numbers get above X, then we will have to ask all of you to wear masks. And if your county's numbers go beyond, even further beyond that, then... We have to, for the safety of everyone, have all of you stay in your homes for two weeks and have those expectations laid out clearly beforehand so that people aren't shocked when you ask them to stay in their homes for two weeks, for instance. So you put the responsibility not in the hands of the government officials making the rules, but rather in the hands of the people who the rules are actually going to affect. Yeah. And I mean, because we're living in Tennessee, I already know how this goes. This goes like this. We Mm -hmm. just don't go go and get tested. We just go, allergies. (laughs) And we do not get tested. Sniff sniff allergies in the middle of winter, yes. We manipulate the data. But that's the nature of people. Mm. Um, And I think the the main reason the resistance was like this was because it curtailed freedom at the core Rules that immediately impact what I'm allowed to do with my life are the ones we resist the most. And so no matter what our temperament is, yes. if it seems like a restriction to freedom that we think is a reason, a reasonably our right, we are going to. We are going to push back. And I think a lot of people got very mad at the COVID rules because we were not given very clear reasons for them. We were given rules, we were told to follow them, we were told there would be consequences if we didn't, 
and we were not told the purpose of some of these rules. And when we were told the purpose of these rules, for instance, the original purpose behind masks, everyone knows this, was to, was to flatten the curve, was to prevent the hospitals from being overloaded by too many COVID patients at once. And it worked. And the curve was flattened, but the masks didn't go away. In some places, they're still not away. It's become clear to a lot of people that that reason was not actually the reason why they asked us to follow this rule. And now people are distrustful because they say, what, what's really going on here? Yes. What is this? Is this a political symbol? Is this a, a exercise of authoritarian power? Are the government officials just trying to see how willing we are to follow rules that have no clear purpose? And I think that those are actually very reasonable things to say in this situation because we are not being given the telos. Chesterton's Fest is very important in this situation because maybe the rule didn't change, but the reasons did. I want to ask another question, which is, who do you think temperamentally is likely to follow rules to their own detriment, even if they can't see the why? I think the temperaments who are most likely to be fearful of responsibility. So they will follow a rule because it takes responsibility away from them. I just did what they told me to do. It's not my problem. So, and I think mm -hmm. the responsibility avoiders are the pure pines. Mm. And maybe some of the pine bombs who say, people are going to be mad at me and I don't want people mad at me because they are the ultimate conflict avoidant combination, the spine bomb. Right, because they want people to they're like the them. They're the double people person peace. and they want peace and they want harmony and they're hoping that the rules will provide that. Because I'm asking, you know, who is not doing this? And I think about pioneers because today we're celebrating pioneers who were bold enough to say, we don't want to be under British rule. And you and I come from a country where our people, the Afrikaners, did the exact same thing and yes. threw off the British yoke moved up into the country, said, well, we're going to get away from from where we are told how to live our lives and we're going to take territory and we're going to take land from people who are there and we believe we're actually doing that in their interest. And we had a lot of the same thinking as the founding fathers and the pioneers of the U.S. And who were the leaders there, temperamentally? Rose bushes and palm trees. Novelty, ah. power, progress... Um, conquest, adventure, those, those are the things that speak to, to the pioneer heart. Okay, but now we have a problem. Because <laughs> the pioneers who are most likely to break the rules that should be broken and fight for the freedoms that we need uh, against rules that threaten to stifle our lives and curtail our freedoms and make us live in ways that we find unacceptable are the rose, strong roses strong palm trees, strong rose palms. But the people who are best at updating the rules? The box pines are nowhere in pines. action. <laughs> now we're the in the box pines. So mm. now we have Lawlessness. And the people who can map that territory out and actually establish efficient, non-contradictory, freedom-creating rules are the box pines. How do you think that those two temperaments can work together? Well, only if they actually know the value of each other's strengths. Only if they respect each other. Mm. But I fear that the box pines think these rebels, these rule breakers, um, are just simply arrogant. They're the people taking the fence out of the road without asking questions. Yes, so they don't trust them. And I think likewise, the palm roses who are brave enough to just go and demolish the fence are not careful and deliberate enough to consult the box spines and say, what am I missing? Because they don't think they're missing anything. They're going after freedom mm -hmm. and they don't mind the consequences of that because they are forward thinking and not as detailed as they could be. Humility on both, <laughs> on both fronts. Yes, humility to realize I need you and you need me in order for us to reform properly. So I think of a guy like Luther who reformed the church. When I read Luther, I see a rosebush. 
Oh, yes. Very, very strong. I don't care if you come with me. I don't care if I'm alone. I don't mind the consequences. I, I'm doing this thing. And the pushback was a lot more severe than I think it would have been if there were somebody less confrontational, more diplomatic, as a sidekick right. who could communicate Luther's intent with more diplomacy and that. Yes. Yeah. And and this is why you just need you just need all personalities, no matter what you're doing. You need all of them because we have severe blind spots. And I think of how the fact that Dad and I together make a full circle, I am contrapine and he is mostly pine, mm -hmm. has been in your children's interests because I will make rules from my boxwood, I will enforce them from my rose, and I will not think about updating them if they're working for me, and I would kind of just mm -hmm. motor through with them, where Dad will stay back and with his big picture gifting that he has as a pine, he'll go like, why are we doing this again? Yeah. And he'll say, this is not working for some of our kids, it may be working for others, can we look at this again? Right. And of course, if my stance is, oh, you're just lazy to enforce this. You just don't want to be the disciplinarian here. You just want to undermine me. If that is my stance, and that has been my stance at times, I would not listen. And I would just say, no, okay, if you don't want to enforce this, that's okay. Step aside. I'll do this. Right. But if I would have the humility to say, he is seeing things I'm not seeing, let me just check in with him and say, how do you think we're doing? Do you think our rules make sense? It would have been better. And there have been times when we, we have had to update rules because they are not pragmatic enough and he was the one able to point that out. But he had to, he had to listen to me too at times. Yes. When he would say, why are we forcing this rule on Simonae? I would have to say, okay, here's, here's something you're not aware of that's going on in her educational life or here's something that's going on socially. Right. You might have or, to tell him from the big picture, maybe it's not so clear. So the big picture people, the pine trees, have to see in a humble way that some details do require rules all on their own. That's very true. I think of the Ten Commandments. Yeah. They apply at every level. They're rules that are, that are designed to do that. They're designed to be timeless. And they create freedom. Every one of them creates freedom. Yes. Exactly. Freedom to own your own property, freedom to have an intact family, yes. freedom to know the truth and be able to trust people. And the first commandment, which is, you shall have no other gods before me, that rule is the one that makes sure everyone has the same aim. The telos of that rule is very difficult to grasp, but that telos is necessary for every other telos that follows. Yeah. It's, it's necessary for every other purpose that follows, because you're right. It means you can't cooperate with other people unless you have one shared ethic. If you have two ethics, so if you have an ethic and I have an ethic, there will be a hard limit to the things we can pragmatically get done together. And there will be conflict beyond that limit. That's unavoidable. It's not that we don't share a rule at the highest level. It's not that we don't both follow the first commandment, right? That's not the problem. The problem is that we don't share a purpose at the highest level of abstraction, that biggest picture. Do you think that's what's going on with the left and the right in the U.S.? Yes. Foundationally. I think that the right is concerned with duty, and the left is concerned with compassion. And I think we need both. Hmm. But if you hold one central and you have another group holding the other central, there will be conflict beyond a certain point. And with those two things, that conflict happens very quickly. Because let's say the right will say something like, if you don't have enough money, what you have to do is take some responsibility, get a job, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, to use a very old turn of <laughs> phrase, and make something of yourself. Come on, have some initiative. Do your duty and you will be rewarded. And there is truth to that. It's not an empty statement. But people do feel that it's an empty statement because it's one-sided. And then 
the left will come in and say something like, but some people are in situations which completely preclude them from doing that whatsoever. They don't have boots to pull themselves up by. They don't have job opportunities to take. And even if they had job opportunities to take, the community that they're in might preclude them from taking those opportunities. Because let's say they have a family history of drug use, right? Most jobs that you can make a living off of require a drug test. Mm. Even if you have people in your house that use substances, you can fail a substance use test. Yes, you can. And there will be traces all over you. There will be traces Especially all over you. Especially when you're 15 people sharing a two-bedroom house. Exactly. And so there are situations where that's a bad rule. It's a bad way of thinking about it. But if you have both and you say, let's provide a maximal amount of opportunity to the people who are capable of taking those opportunities... And let's reward them duly for taking on that duty. But also try to establish opportunities for people who are not well suited to that. In the same way that we establish opportunities for people who are well suited to taking on massive amounts of responsibility right away. Hmm. Right? People with high levels of education high levels of opportunity, stable housing, stable family situations, stable schedules that they can work because sometimes you have to take four jobs to survive. Yeah. That means that your schedule is very difficult. That means you're working for part-time jobs more or less, which means you get paid about a tenth for each of those jobs than you get paid for a full-time job. And this is something I've thought through a little bit for a part-time job, like I'm working now, mm -hmm. I get paid about a fifth of the pay of a full-time job. And I'm working three quarters of the hours. If I worked 10, five, 10 hours a week more, I would be making five times more money. Mm. But you have circumstances boring you. Exactly. And so do millions of others. And so do millions They have a baby. Yes. They have a baby. They yeah. have an unstable family situation. They have, They're a, they have a grandparent yeah. or a parent they're taking care of. Exactly. They can't afford to spend exactly 40 hours or more a week at work. Why are we paying them a fifth of what the people who can afford to work 40 hours a week are getting paid? That's the kind of thing that both the Democrats and the Republicans, I think, can get behind. Because... The Republicans might say, well, listen, that person's still doing 30 hours of duty. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they're still taking responsibility to the maximum of their capacity, but they're not seeing eye to eye. And it is because they don't share purpose at the highest level of analysis. How can you put two people in an arena playing an undefined game where you have two different goals and If you score points in the duty section, you gain brownie points with the right. But if you score points in the compassion section, you get brownie points in the left. But what happens is, when you put those two people in an arena for long enough, what happens is, if you score compassion points, you don't just gain points with the left, you lose them with the right. Yeah. You're not playing their game. Yeah. So they will outgroup you. They will say, you're not one of us. And we don't like the way you think or the ideas you have, even if those ideas meld both goals. So they, they're losing the middle. They're losing the common purpose. Yeah. So what we're talking about here is expectations of rule following. People say, if I play by the rules you're making for me, this is what I want out of it. And so sometimes the disillusionment with the rules will be because I don't get what the American dream has promised me. I'm doing what you told me to do, right. but I don't have what they have. So something's wrong with the rule system. Now, actually, I was listening to uh, and watching some YouTube videos in preparation for work with the Denisoline people who are way up north in 
Saskatchewan, their First Nation tribe and of Canada, and I wanted to understand some of their history. And so I listened to the history of Canada. Mm-hmm. And it was fascinating. And the a YouTube clip attached to it was some of the history of the US and some of the parallels between those. And what you saw were people really coming in with that expectation if if I work hard, I can carve out a life for myself here and I can be That's successful. The classical American dream. Yes. But also the classic uh, Canadian dream. It's the dream of the of the immigrant. Yes. If you will. It it in some sense it's the defining dream of the West. Yes. That's a good way to look at it. And initially it worked. And then a couple of generations ago, it stopped working in the sense that all of a sudden it took more than just being diligent and getting up in the morning and doing your job to actually reach what was promised. Yes. And now we have a generation of Americans who is more addicted than any other generation in the world. Our obesity is off the chart. Our alcohol consumption is off the chart. Our narcotics use is ridiculous. Our incarceration uh, incarceration rate is 10 times the rate of Portugal, for example. Right. Um, so what and is Portugal going has on? less rules. Well, well, <laughs> well Portugal has, a, has less rules around drug use, so you'd think, well, exactly. that, would, that would make their incarceration less, wouldn't it? Well, no, because if you have less rules around drug use, you expect more people to use drugs, therefore getting themselves into more trouble than the typical American with laws against drugs exactly. get themselves into. So, so you would actually expect more people to get locked up. So, so there are situations where less rules create less problems. Yes. You can go overboard with the rules as well. If you try to create so much freedom with rules, and that's your only tool for creating freedom, you're going to run into problems very quickly. Because that was exactly the conclusion of this video that I listened to, is that the rules we were making to try and create a free society in which people can flourish have not delivered that. Mm. It's delivered... maybe the mechanism for updating those rules isn't effective enough. But it is expectation management. It's about the promises we make people. Mm. It's about what we tell them they will get out of keeping the rules. Because if we tell them, COVID will go down if you wear a mask and it doesn't. And we tell them, if you stay home, nobody will die. But they do. And if we say, if you work all these hours, you can have your own home. But you can't. Right. Then we are creating... A resistance and we're creating in people we are reinforcing in people a sense of randomness what are these rules about they don't produce yes. what they should and so and a, if force we, of, and a sense of societal level chaos because if the people at the top of the society who are making these rules and enforcing them are telling you if you work hard and you get a job you'll be able to buy a house and now we're in a housing crisis where we can't afford houses like me i'm 21 i'm going to graduate next year from college with a degree in psychology and there are very few jobs which i will be able to get maybe none that will allow me if i want to do so to buy a house on a mortgage or something of that kind Mm -hmm. because housing is now so expensive and so that promise no longer applies to me. It's a false promise. Yes. And false promise creates a massive disrespect for the rules. Now, you're talking on a societal and political level, but I was also listening on the level of the household. It's a paternal thing Mm -hmm. to say, these are the rules, but if you follow them, these good things will happen for you. Yeah. And I think... There is a maternalization of American society going on at the moment, Hmm. which is saying, oh, don't worry. We'll make it up for you. We'll make it up for you. (laughs) Even if you don't work, we'll give you these things that the people who work get. But they can't deliver on that promise because things don't come from from nowhere. 
In order to do that effectively, you don't just need compassion. You don't just need a heavy heart for the dispossessed. Yeah. You also need functional reward systems for people who do do hard work. Because if I, who will be capable of working 50 hours a week, 60 hours a week after graduation with an education, with a very decent work ethic, if I do say so myself, if I can't afford to even get myself a house with that work, how on earth are you going to take the extra I produce and give it to someone who needs it? How am I going to afford to be generous? And how are you going to feel about rules that seem to threaten what you produce? Right. There are people who are doing zero work now who are earning more than I am earning by doing 30 hours of work a week. Yes. Because of government programs. And I think, well, that's, you know, good for them because they can't work these 30 hours. But something is off here because I am working 30 hours and maybe I'm better off not working those 30 hours. So the only way you are going to continue, and maybe we can wrap up and kind of summarize and say, the rules that we will actually follow and the rules that will actually contribute to society and the rules that all the different temperaments will eventually make peace In the household and in society. Yes. They will have to have a very solid why. Yes. They will have to have a underpinning ethic that, that unite us. share, yes. And they will have to demonstrate the ability to create freedom for myself and others. And results for yourself and others as yeah, well. They'll have to demonstrate their validity across time. Yes. And maybe if I'm in a situation where I look at these rules and they just don't do it for me, they are limiting or they seem unfair then if I am going to remain a positive contributor to society and if I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing, I will have to find a collaboration with all different personalities, with each of their strengths. And I'm going to say, help me see what I'm missing. This might be a rule we need to go after for the sake of society. Yes. Can you help me challenge this one? Because otherwise, revolution Mm -hmm. and a breaking apart of the system becomes inevitable. Do you think those four things, a reason for the rules, an ethic underlying the rules, the demonstration of the rules, usefulness, its pragmatic results, and the mechanism of updating the rules. Do you think that there's anything else that a rule needs to have or a system of making rules needs to have in order to be successful? I think that's pretty much it. But it's evident from our conversation that it will be unwise to do so if we are polarized. Yes. We have to do that with people who are our opposite. And we'll have to get around a table with people that typically we do not respect very much. And typically that we don't like the methods of. And we will have to be humble. Right. To say, I have blind, blind spots and so do you. Let's first hear each other out incorporate the concerns and let's not leave this table until we can agree that we now have a rule that Mm -hmm. adheres to those parameters that's Uh, a little idealistic i suppose i I, well (laughs) i think that that idealistic attitude is is necessary because i think what you just said was there are these four parameters but the most important parameter is the underlying ethic because that is what will unite people across their differences. Maybe it's a little bit like what Jesus did when he, he spoke in the Sermon on the Mount. And he said, okay, your rule makers, your Pharisees say this. But here's what I say. Mm. And he, he went bigger than rules. He went deeper than rules. He went wider than rules. And he said, it's actually not about your exterior behavior. It's about your ethic. Your it's actual heart and your actual intent. And let's align that before we make the detail rules. So <laughs> there's yes. a challenge. So if my children, for example, do not adopt my ethic, they will not adopt my rules. 
And the only way I can convince you to have any respect for my ethic is to live it consistently and to demonstrate that it works for life. Right. A lot of people will think, oh, ethic, it's a set of rules. No. No. It is the thing you use to make your rules. It's idealistic. It is. But what else are you going to do? What other alternatives do you have but to aim for something that isn't real yet? For me, ethic is not just what I make, what I use as a barometer. It's my actual lifestyle. When we follow Jesus as Christians or follow Buddha as Buddhists or follow a Stoic idealist, Stoics, or whatever our ethical framework might be, if it's compassion or duty or whatever, we have to have the humility to know that we cannot reach the extreme of that ideal. But we also have to have faith that moving towards that ideal, even though it's unreachable, will produce success in our reachable goals and will produce pragmatic and useful results in the rules we make that we can keep because of that ideal. I love that summary. Great. Let's land it here. Absolutely. Thank you for the conversation. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I enjoyed it too. <laughs>